The only one that has permission to judge Paul is the Lord, and I'm submitted to him. Look at this. Therefore, therefore, my goodness, do not pronounce judgment before the time. What time? Before the Lord comes. Oh, you're telling me there's a time for judgment? Yeah, and it's not now. You're listening to the Braveheart Podcast. For more information about Braveheart Ministries, visit BraveheartMinistries.org. I want to talk to you today about the difference between cultivating and motivating. Um, you guys are you guys are leaders, and you will be leaders both in the marketplace and your families in church. Um, and there is a, I believe, a, a, a massive gap uh, that exists today, both in, ch- in church leadership and in business leadership. Um, kingdom leadership uh, is very unique, and it's rooted and grounded in the gospel. Um, and so not, not only do I believe the gospel has the power to save you, but it also gives you the context to be a good leader. Um, it gives you framework to raise other people up uh, in the faith. And so uh, we, live, we live in days uh, where motivation is, is sort of the go-to uh, method of leadership. And what do I mean by motivation? I mean that there is a single leader who is a motivator. And what that person does, like here's what I could do you know, with outreach. I could spend the next 30 minutes and I could motivate you and I could get probably 80% of you to go on all of these outreaches this week. And here's, here's what that would look like. I would say, guys, look, uh, scripturally, it's your obligation to share your faith. You've received a lot from Jesus. You, it's the Great Commission. And I would begin to build a case, and, and it's true. There's, there's truth in it, and there's nothing wrong with that. And what I could do is I could, I could motivate you externally. Here's my voice motivating you to go, man, I really should go share my faith, Right? And you would go do it, and it would be, and it would be good, and you may get stretched, and you may get, you know, and there, there's some good to that kind of leadership. Um, but if, for me, the leader, if that was my only means of, of, of producing change in people that were listening to me, if that was my only way in getting people to go from, uh, from being one way to another way, then, then where, like, where does the weight of responsibility lie? So then if you stop getting motivated, I have to reinvent myself. I have to change the way that I talk. I have to change my volume, my passion, my intensity. I've got to make sure that I'm always more intense than you. I'm always more intense than the laziness of your flesh. Why? Because that's how I'm going to stir you up. That's how I'm going to lead you. Right? You guys with me? And so, so motivation, here's the thing. Motivation's not bad. It's just not sustainable. Motivation... If you're, if you're going to be a leader, and even if, as you're responding to leaders, motivation can be a catalyst for change. Like you need like someone to like help you, like motivate you, get out of bed in the morning, like accountability. Like that's all the kind of stuff I'm talking about. It's good, and it can stir you up, but it, but it won't last. It won't sustain you. And as a leader, if your primary way of leading is through motivation and you don't learn another way, you'll burn out. Not only will you burn out, but you'll get discouraged at, your, at the people following you. Why? Because as soon as they stop listening to you, as soon as, as, soon as they stop getting motivated, 
you start like it, you have to intensify the pressure that you put on them to get them to do the thing. Right. Like, why are you guys not sharing the gospel or why are you guys not, you know, doing this or that? Apply this, apply this to any form of leadership as a husband, as a father. You can apply this any which way. And so and so I want to I'm going to read some scripture here that, that will give us some language to this. Uh, but I believe we see a lot of this, a lot of culture. T. Jones, this is struggling. Um, I, we see a lot of culture today in the church that's based upon motivation. And I think it started, I think it started right and good, but, but you'll see the leaders who are the motivators primarily only. They're, they're sometimes tired. Um, sometimes they're, they, get, they get jaded towards the people they're leading uh, because the people they're leading aren't producing the fruit that they want them to produce. And there's a frustration. And I'm sharing this with you, and I felt compelled to share it with you because, man, I don't believe scripturally, biblically, we have to burn out. I don't believe burnout is a normal part of the Christian life. I don't believe Paul burnt out. He burned brighter and brighter until he said, man, I finished the race. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. He kept the faith. He kept his heart burning till the end. And he goes, man, the time of my departure has come. He, this is his language. The time of my departure has come, and I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to meet the Lord. Like he, he was no, there was no like, man, I'm, I'm so tired of running with y'all. I'm so tired of putting up with y'all. He was, his heart was pure and clean. And so I want to I wanna just read this text for you. Uh, he's addressing division in the church. Um, which I think is applicable today. We'll start in, in just verse 1. I'm going to read a big chunk of Scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. He says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh in behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Stop there. So, chapter 10 will be about our new nature and identifying with the new nature. Um, I want you to notice something. Paul, Paul says, I only gave you milk. I had to, he's saying, I had to so distill down the revelation God gave me because of your, your infancy in Christ. I couldn't give you the full meat. I couldn't give you the solid food. Like there's, there's depths of revelation. Just like I talked about reading Hebrews 7 through 10. Like people that are infants in Christ will only, will only extract so much milk from that text. But if it's a meaty text like Hebrews 7 through 10 and it's meat and you're an infant, you'll, you'll, you'll read it and you'll be like, I can't eat that. So there's certain things where you have to grow up in God. And that's what I found over the years as I've grown up in God. There's certain texts where I can actually eat and consume. And I'm like, wow, that's delicious. I never had that before. 
I had, I had the other milk, the stuff that was just super distilled down, that, that fed me and nourished me, that was intended to grow me up. But here he's saying, man, I actually gave you milk and you stayed an infant. You stayed a baby. Why? Because you're acting like a human. Do you guys see the rebuke here? No. Do, you, do you understand that he rebuked them for being human? This is a leader of the early church. Can we just get real? You guys, for those of you wrestling, like, well, come on, I can't really walk like Jesus. Come on. I, this is the early church. I'm, not, I'm just reading it from the Bible. He rebuked them for acting like humans. And in the church, we've grown accustomed with, well, I'm, I'm only human. How do we get that language? No, you're not. How do you get the language, I'm only human, and justify acting like a human when scripturally, biblically, according to the gospel, we were born out of the confines of, of behaving merely humanly, and we were born into the likeness of God after true righteousness and holiness, given the Holy Spirit and the capacity to walk like Jesus. So this means any behavior that you have today, God's purpose, His intent, His design was that you would grow up out of it. Any human behavior, any human like, like just fleshiness in you, you're intended to grow up out of it. And if you're fleshly today, if you're living in your flesh, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you're an infant in that area. That's not a condemnation to anybody. There's nothing wrong with being an infant. What's beautiful is recognizing it and that God's your father and he'll actually nourish you and help you grow up into maturity. And you grow up by faith. You guys see that? Any questions on that? Do you see that he had, to, he had to change like how he fed them? So as a leader, you need to understand your hearers. A part of why I like to hear your questions and your thoughts, it helps me understand how to feed you. I love, personally, I love talking with people who are really, really deep in this. I love it. I love the dialogue and the fellowship I can have with someone. Thanks, bro. With someone who, who knows this really well because it's like it's like enjoying a nice meal together you, you can dialogue and they're and they're feeding and, and, and we can go back and forth and there's this just rich thing that's why I so encourage you guys man like just plow that like a hundred times and something will happen in your spirit it's how you eat there's so much talk these days about like oh we're gonna do keto or paleo like how am I gonna eat what's my diet and most of us don't know like how to eat like a Christian. We don't know how to like consume things to make us strong spiritually. I talk a lot about that because I like eating. Okay, look at this. So, so their, hum- their humanness was manifesting in, in leaders that they identified with, one over another. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And they were, they were arguing over who was the better leader. Sound familiar? Oh, man, I, guys, it's, it's this denomination. It's that denomination. It's evidence that you say, you know, people say it's not harsh. I'm not being harsh when I say the church at large is very infant right now. As evidenced by all the denominations we have and everyone, like if Paul were to come back and say Church of America, what would I write to you? I believe he would write, he would start writing right here and he would say, guys, I cannot address you as a spiritual people. 
church, I cannot address you as a spiritual people. He would look at the landscape of the church. He would see all the denominations. He would see all the, I follow, I follow, you know, I follow Bill Johnson. I follow T.D. Jakes. I follow this. And he'd go, man, you guys, I cannot address you as spiritual. Because there's division among you. And you're arguing. It's not just that you follow. There's nothing wrong with following a leader. It's that there's arguments and divisions because of who you follow. That's the issue. There's nothing wrong with having someone that you follow after that stirs your faith, that encourages you. I thank God for the leaders in our church. That's not the issue. Having many, many anointed leaders is not a problem. It's when the people who follow begin to argue and fight because of those leaders. And that's what's happening today. And so he's addressing this. And he says, what, you know, what then is Apollos, verse 5? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Look at this. Look what Paul says. I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. I'm, I'm, we're going to take our time. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants, thank you, Jesus, nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. There's no distinguish between the two. The person who preached the gospel and got you saved is one. And the person that encouraged you in your faith is one. And they're nothing. It's God who works in you both to will and to act who's something. And each one, each will receive his wages according to his labor. Paul's going to get his labor from God his wages from God. Apollos is going to get his wages from God. He's going to, he's, his account's going to be settled with God. But for you, for the hearers, for the field, God's field, look, look at this. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field, God's building. God's building. Bless you. So, <clears throat> a motivator takes takes truths from the Bible and and uses those truths to motivate you to stir you up to encourage you I believe that's a um, that's a pastoral gift that's a that's an exhortational gift maybe even a teaching gift is a, is a motivational gift but but an apostolic gift an apostolic leader is one who cultivates one who understands the design of God's field, understand how, how things work, how a seed, when you put it under a ground and it dies and you water it, that it will grow. An apostolic leader actually allows room for God to work and doesn't feel responsible for the growth in the field's life. Y'all didn't, y'all didn't hear me. The reason why an apostolic leader can run well to the very end a true, I would say a true gospel running leader is that he knows that the growth is not up to him. You guys know, as I stand here, like I'm not concerned for if or you're not going to grow. All I'm doing is watering. I feel like I'm Apollos. 
Someone, some Paul planted in you a long time ago, and here I am just watering. I got my can out. I just get my rusty can, and I just come every Tuesday and Thursday, and I just water your faith. Whether your heart takes it and you grow or not, that's God's business. That's you and God's business. I, I'm, not, I'm not responsible. There is a design. Either the Word of God works and the grace of God works or it doesn't. I'm not carrying some heavy yoke and go, man, I'm laboring for these CF&I students. Like, I, my, my passion and my love for you, like any, anything I feel is because I love you and I want you to grow up in God, but I'm not feeling the weight of responsibility that, man, if I don't do a dog and pony show every Tuesday, Thursday, then you're not going to grow. But I want you to understand cultivation because I believe this is how the Father fathers us is he cultivates us and many of us relate to God as a motivator as a motivator and as a teacher let me give you an example something happens in your life and the first thing so many of us do is God what are you trying to teach me be real with me something happens your friend does something wrong you lost your job you sprained your ankle, like something bad happens, and you go, God, what are you trying to teach me? And usually what precedes, what are you trying to teach me, is an introspection. You start looking at yourself, you're like, wait a minute. Oh, dude, last week I, dude, I cut that dude off, and I, I, I flipped him off. <laughs> and then the next day this happened. God, oh, he's... He, this is connected to that. And so we relate to God. <laughs> I'm messing with y'all now. <laughs> y'all relate to God as a motivator, as a teacher. And you don't understand that God trusts in his own design. The Father trusts the Word and the Son and the Spirit and understands better than anybody how to form Christ in you. Do you understand you have a committed Father who's committed to cultivating Christ in your life? Do you guys know that? The, you, you know that, but many of us live as orphans not underneath the loving care of a Father who has covenanted by the blood of His Son and He said, hey guys, I'm going to be your Father this is, about, this, is about, this is about seeing and knowing God as Father. The, the level of peace and rest that will come into your life when you learn to relate to God as Father is unlike anything that could ever be described. The level of satisfaction and calm that will come into your soul where all these other things you're worried about when you, when you truly come underneath God as Father, and you're like, wait a minute, God, you're, you're, you're committed as the, as the living God, the creator of the universe. You are committed by the blood of your own son to seeing me grow up into the fullness of what you created me to be. You're telling me that the foundation of my spiritual growth is your love and your covenant with me? Yeah. That's the foundation. That's the undergirding soil 
of a right, good relationship with God is that you have a father in heaven who says, listen, I'm, I have servants like Peter and these different servants, and they will, they will serve you. They'll water you. They'll, they'll plant seeds in you. But, but listen, I want you to understand something. It's me, the father, who will, who will work all of that together and cause you to grow up into Christ. And here's the cool thing. Here's the, here's the thing I don't think many people realize, that they don't equate how, how being cultivated produces change in their life or allows them to overcome. When God cultivates Christ in you, guess what happens? Fleshliness falls away. Sinfulness falls away. It's like a, it's like a, like a seed throwing off the, the husk. It's like when Christ is formed in you, there leaves little less and less room for your flesh to remain are you guys with me like it's like you can't fit you can't fit full flesh and full christ in one man so 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 many people are worried about i don't want to do the flesh i don't want to do the flesh no 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 no. just let the father cultivate you and when christ is formed in you it's like man all of a sudden there's no room for flesh there's no room for sin why because i'm i'm actually bound in being established in christ You guys with me? It's a different mindset. It's a shift from being sin-focused to Christ-conscious. It's a massive shift. People ask me, like, well, so do you still sin? That's the, you know, early on, y'all asked me that. Like, well, do you still sin when I started preaching about, you know, you have a new nature, you don't have to sin, and then something rises in you, like, well, do you sin? I'm like, no, 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 I'm thinking Christ. It's been so long since I've actually analyzed, do I sin? If I sin, can I show you this? If I sin, I trust that there is a law written on my heart that will notify me and will put me back where I need to go. Because the law of God is written on my heart according to the new covenant. Can I just keep reading? So, so Paul keeps going, and I'll, I'll, I'm not the only one who's done this. Again, that's not new. This is not revelatory. This is in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul talks about he, he, he builds like a master builder. <clears throat> um, look at chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. So servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful they were judging Paul. They were, they were pronouncing judgments on Paul, and Paul's kind of defending his ministry here a little bit. And he says this in verse 3, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you <laughs> or by any human court. Look at this next sentence. In fact, I do not even judge myself. He goes, you guys are judging me. He goes, that's a very, very small thing. <laughs> it's very small. You judging me is very small. He goes, whether you judge me or a human court, he goes, that's a very small thing. People, your friends judging you, it's a small thing. Oh, it's a teeny tiny thing. He goes, look, look what he says. Look what he says. He goes, I do not even judge myself. I don't judge myself. I, I've I no longer am relying upon the knowledge of good and evil where man first started judging himself. Do you see the dots connecting? 
when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was the first thing they did with that divine knowledge is they judged themselves evil, which is why they hid from God. They saw their nakedness and they're like, I'm judging that that's bad. And so I'm going to hide from God. And Paul is now announcing from his heart that's been washed and cleansed and sanctified through the gospel. He goes, guys, I don't even judge myself. I have so given up that knowledge of good and evil business. I'm so relying upon intimacy with God in, in relationship with Christ. I consider all that stuff lost for the surpassing worth of knowing him. I don't even judge myself. But watch what he says next. I want you to see this because that freaks people out. People are like, well, you're not judging yourself? Well, then how are you going to stay right? Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> oh, if you, if, if you don't judge yourself, well, then how can you be right? That's what Christians freak out. They're like, well, gosh, if, if you're not the one judging whether or not you're walking right or wrong, well, then how are you going to walk right? That question proves that you don't understand God's design, that he wrote his law on your heart. The reason why you're only under grace and that God doesn't put an external demand called the law on you in the new covenant is because the law is written on your heart. He made you righteous. He made you now born again with the desire, obedient from the heart, Romans 6 says, with the desire you wake up every morning and you want to walk righteously. There is is a Christ-likeness within you that is prone to walk righteously. Do you understand that? Yes or no? You should celebrate that. You should wake up every morning and go, God, wow, look how new you made me. There was a time in my life where I had, I I didn't care about walking righteously, but now I do. Look, because inside, I really care, Lord. Mm -hmm. Inside, I really care about walking with you. That's evidence that he's made you clean inside. So check this out. For I am not aware of anything against myself. What? Wait, 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 whoa, 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 Paul. I don't even judge myself. I'm not even aware. So you ask Paul, Paul, do you sin? He's like, I'm not aware. I'm not aware of what you're asking me. Paul, well, do you sin? I'm not aware of anything against myself. I, Paul, am not aware of anything against myself. I don't live that way anymore is what he's saying. I don't live with the consciousness of myself anymore. I've taken my eyes according to the covenant. I don't live that way anymore. That's the carnal, earthly way. That's the way of the fall of man. I don't live that way anymore. Ninety. The reason why we are infants in Christ and relying on motivation is because the church is dead set on this. Looking at her belly button going, am I okay? I guarantee 90% of your days, I'm just making percentages up. This is ridiculous. I'm not a math guy. (laughs) A lot of you, a lot of you guaranteed 90%. That's right. Put that in the bank. Take that to the bank, y'all. Listen, many of you, lots of people, let's just say that, their day is either good and bad based on their assessment of how they're doing. Y'all caught that one. And here Paul goes, Paul goes, here's Paul's announcement. He goes, I don't live that way anymore. I'm done living that way. Y'all ready? But I want to show you before you panic and freak out, there's a little safety net. But I am not thereby acquitted. So he's saying my lack of awareness against me against myself doesn't make me innocent. 
We're so used to judging ourselves guilty or innocent. Paul's going, listen, I have so departed from that lifestyle. He goes, I'm not aware of myself. He goes, but that doesn't make me innocent because I realize my judgment is not the one that matters. That's the ultimate revelation is that you judging yourself, it has no weight. You're wrong. You're not a good judge. You thought you were a good judge because you took the knowledge of the good, good and evil in the beginning and you became judge of yourself. You became judge of the world. You're wrong. That's the great like revelation of the gospel is that you can't judge yourself. Hallelujah. Amen. You can't. You can't do it. He's going, you've now entered into covenant. Look at this. You've entered into covenant. It is the Lord who judges me. The only one that has permission to judge Paul is the Lord, and I'm submitted to him. Look at this. Therefore, therefore, my goodness, do not pronounce judgment before the time. What time? Before the Lord comes. Oh, you're telling me there's a time for judgment? Yeah. And it's not now. Therefore, he's telling you, do not pronounce judgment. Stop judging yourself. Stop it right now. Stop judging yourself. Stop judging others. Stop it. Right now, stop it. Why? He says, before, do, before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. So he's like, hey guys, listen, the Lord's coming back, and on that day, you, you notice Paul references that day a lot in his writings, that day, the day, that day. He's saying that day is the shot clock for your life when everything that goes on on the inside, everything that goes on on the inside is brought to light. He discloses it and makes it known. He says, but before that day, I would just stay away from judgment because that's his job. And he's not saying not to walk righteously, not to have discernment, not to, not to walk in. Like there's other things where there's exhortations, but, he, but here he's addressing a massive issue from them being infants in Christ, having divisions. They're making judgments of the person following Paul. They're making judgments of the first person following Apollos. They're judging themselves. And he's like, guys, stop it. Cut it out. It's hindering your growth and your maturity in Christ. You have a father who is cultivating his son in you. I've partnered with the father to cultivate that in you. And listen, in time, Jesus will judge and he'll reveal those things. But right now, I don't want you to live that way. Because here's the thing, like, like Kevin's sitting there and he's, and he's, and he's taking it in. But I could, I could look and go, man, I don't know what, what's going on in Kevin's heart. And what, what, we, do, what we do often is we, we judge according to the flesh because he kind of made like a, maybe he made like a funny face as I'm talking. I'm like, man, he's not receiving what I'm saying. But deep down, he's getting delivered and God's touching him. But I made a judgment out here in my flesh. Like, well, he's not receiving. Mm-hmm. How many times does that play out, play out in our lives with our friends? Oh, he didn't say hi to me. Oh, he, well, what is she thinking? Or, and we make judgments and we make assessments of where they're at with the Lord. She's sitting there. Maybe, maybe she's sitting there during worship in, in IB and she's got her, she's her, the, the, your friend and she's that girl that you've been judging and she's like, she's just not, she's just not in it. She's just looking off. She's just mad. 
And you're like, man, she's backslidden. But really that morning she got a text from her mom and, and, and their uncle's sick, or right? And you don't know what's going on, but you, you, you start building the case because of what you see according to the flesh. You don't have to aim him. I was just kidding, bro. <laughs> Kim's like, amazing. No, I'm taking it in. <laughs> I'm just messing, bro. I'm just messing. And it's worth, it's worth mentioning that there's the, the judgment seat where people will go to heaven and hell, but then there's the, the judgments of rewards. And it's, it's not talked about in the church a lot, but there will be a, a judgment based on what we did with what we got. And, and there will be rewards given out. That's why he says, and I believe that's what he's talking about here, each will receive his commendation from God. Not each will receive his eternal sentence. So this is, the, this is I believe, having to do with, with the rewards that we'll receive on that day as believers who are in Christ, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, so there's nothing to be condemned for if you're in Christ. But here's my, here's my thing. Matthew 7, you know, people always wonder, like, well, how come those guys were healing the sick? They go, Lord, did we not cast out demons and heal the sick and do all this stuff in your name? And he goes, depart from me. I never knew you. Whoa. What, people, have you ever wondered how that can be? How someone can be casting out devils? It's because they were motivated to do something, but, but they weren't cultivated to do it. When, you, when you're cultivated to know God intimately and you know him as a healer and you start casting out devils because you know his heart that he doesn't want anyone afflicted by demons that comes from the inner workings of compassion in your heart you cast out a devil in compassion that will that will stand the test of time why because the root source of it is knowing god and the nature of god if i just cast out a devil because my my neighbor did it and i can do it but I don't have the, I'm not connected to the heartbeat behind it. And I'm just doing it because it's like the, the dude in Acts chapter 8 was like, hey, let me have that same power to lay hands on the sick and do that. And Peter's like, dude, you're, you're all wrong. Do y'all know the story I'm talking about? Simon, he comes, he's like, hey, I want, uh, let me pay you because that, that was cool. You baptized those dudes in the Holy Ghost. I want to, and Paul goes, man, let your money perish with you. You're, you're, you're wrong. This dude had already responded to God in the gospel. Y'all know that, right? With Philip, he was preaching, and he responds, and the apostles come, and the Samaria, Acts chapter 8, they lay hands, and he's like, hey, I want that. And what, what Peter was doing is he recognized that he had seen something, was being motivated to do something, but from the wrong motive. And he goes, man, that actually, you'll, you'll perish with that motive. Let your money perish with you. He's saying that motive will kill you. Why? So this is why I'm, I'm presenting this shift is just make sure that you're submitted to God and the Father and Him cultivating Christ in you. Judgments, judgments have, an, have a, a meaning of, of finality to it. And I don't think we as Christians realize the weight when we pronounce a judgment. When, when, I, when I say something about someone in your presence, what, what we've just done is we've made a judgment upon them and we've agreed upon it, and now it becomes really hard for you and I to relate to that person different from that judgment. Man, that person's super, super lazy. And then every time, so we pronounced a judgment. Every time you see them, that judgment arises and go, remember what you judged them for? So it has to do with your tongue. It has to do with your pronouncement. Do not pronounce judgment. So what happens if you discern someone's being lazy? 
you may discern that, but your response to that can be, wow, I wonder what's going on in their heart. They may need me to encourage them and to manifest Christ to them, to to get them up out of their laziness. But I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to go spread how lazy they are. Judgment has to do with the proclamation of your tongue and the power of life and death is in the tongue. Does that make sense? And there's a lot there, but I think, I think that's what he's talking about. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. For more resources, visit BraveheartMinistries.org.